Before we get started on today's show, let's talk about how you could get in touch with us. You can email us at letstalk at firstcomeslovethencomesmarriage.com. You can call us and leave a voicemail at 347-TRUE-LOVE, 347-878-5683. You can also direct message us on Instagram at firstcomeslovetcm. Hey y'all, welcome to First Comes Love, Then Comes Marriage podcast. My name is Lindsay Jackson. And I'm Aaron Jackson. And on this 21st episode, we're talking about loss. So listen up. Let's go. Welcome to First Comes Love, Then Comes Marriage podcast. My name is Lindsay Jackson. And I'm Aaron Jackson. And on this 21st episode, it's so special to us because we are in the month of January. And we always talk about new beginnings, you know, as the new year is going forward. January is a celebration of remembrance for us. It is the reminder of the loss of our first son, Jack Major Jackson. So we're going to talk about grief and loss and how it affected us individually and how it affected our marriage. So let me start. It. Let's start with 2017. We as we do every year, we kind of set these goals for the new year, and I'm a diligent planner. So I pretty much mapped out how I wanted, or what I thought I wanted, how I wanted that year to go, and our marriage. And that year, we were both turning 30, and we had this plan at the beginning of our marriage that we would, it would just be us, and then when we turned 30, we would start to have kids. That was a plan, right, baby? I don't think that was the plan. <laughs> I think that was your plan. That was my plan, and so I had it in my head, and and I kind of just went about it by myself. And since then, you know, I've made my own concessions with doing things the wrong way, and we communicate on a completely different level now, which is wonderful. So we, after Aaron turned 30, because he turned 30 after me, we started trying for a baby, and we got pregnant pretty much right away and it was a happy pregnancy I mean I remember you taping filming every doctor's appointment do you remember yeah yeah I don't even know where those are I don't we I've never looked at them Mm -hmm. but I remember us filming every doctor's appointment being very very excited we had a really nice gender reveal um And just everything, you went to every doctor's appointment with me, everything was great. Everything was smooth sailing, it was normal. And I was at work still, I was working at Lion King, dancing, eight shows a week, up until I was about six months pregnant because Lion King had this huge like 20th anniversary in November and I left right before Christmas. And I can remember being happy and just aesthetically happy. Um, 
And then... January 26th. January 2026. January 24th happened. Oh, yeah. January 24th. It was Wednesday. I went to teach that morning. I teach gyrokinesis at this dance studio called Steps, and I went to teach, and we. I went straight to the doctor's appointment after that. My normal, it was a normal prenatal 30-week doctor's appointment, 30 weeks pregnant, and... It was actually the the Wednesday before my baby shower. So it was like, you know, we were planning, we were doing this. And and we got there and we you met me there mm-hmm. and we were just talking and I remember the nurse taking my blood pressure and then she something happened and she was like, "Oh, I don't know what's going on." She took it off one arm and she said let me just try the other arm and we're talking the whole time like Aaron and I are just having a great time planning what were we about to do go get eat, eat, eat. at a we were about to go eat at Amy Roos I think or yeah and then we we're gonna go get paint yeah we we're about to paint the room or something like that so she checks my other arm for my blood pressure and then she just says don't let me go get the doctor and that didn't alarm me I don't think I was alarmed at all nothing happened except the doctor came in and she said to me what's going on it was she said really i mean i don't really care for this doctor but she's like what have you been doing yeah she said what did you do what did you do and can you can you feel the baby which is why that is such a trigger for me when people are asking, can you feel the baby? Can you feel the baby move? Because I could feel the baby. I could feel it. But, you know, this is our first pregnancy. We don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. And so she just said, you know, don't do anything. Stop what you're doing. Go across the street because the doctor's office was across the street from the hospital. Just walk straight across the street and, and go check yourself in. She didn't say anything else. I think she just said go go straight there and so Aaron and I walked we were holding hands we prayed we prayed everything was okay we prayed Lord protect our baby leather and and just protect us and we walked just holding hands and checked in and didn't know what was happening and then when we got there that's when things started moving in slow motion, kind of like an outer body experience. It was, I was not there, I think fully not there. I, it was something like, okay, pee in this cup and come and lay down and them searching and searching for a heartbeat. And the doctor finally said, there's no heartbeat. And that my blood pressure was through the roof and something I had called preeclampsia. We didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. I remember not understanding anything. I had no idea what my blood pressure was the whole time because everything was normal. I didn't have this high blood pressure. That day, my blood pressure was like 210 over one something. It was something ridiculous. And that was it. I just remember being wheeled around, checked in, and we were there. 
Um, and one thing that I'll, I'll probably say it on my side, but they didn't say like you lost a baby. They just said we can't find the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So they didn't say it as if like it was totally over. They almost said it with a sense of like, oh, we can't find the heartbeat right. now, but we could do other things. So we and we've seen other couples. You know, we talk about comparison. We've seen other couples have babies at like 20 weeks and stuff like that and the baby still survived so when they said we can't find the heartbeat it wasn't like all is lost it's like okay what do we have to do what do we do yeah what do we do to get the heartbeat going back yeah and that i mean nothing was really fully explained to us because even after that you know we were there for the next two days I was there in labor. They gave me whatever drugs I needed, the magnesium to bring my blood pressure down and the this, and I'm pretty sure they gave me antidepressants or something because I had no idea what was going on. And, but even at the time I thought, okay, well, I guess we'll just go home. I, we thought we were going home that day. Nothing prepared us to stay in the hospital for two days. And so I, remember laboring I remember being in pain I remember being in and out of conscious sleeping and waking up and my mom came you had to make those calls Uh she came the very same day I think she flew in that night from LA to New York and we were just in the hospital and I remember friends visiting like my coworkers, some of them coming and receiving an influx of text messages because like I said my I was having this huge baby shower that weekend so it was so jarring to them they were like what happened you know nobody know nobody knew what was happening and stillbirths are so uncommon there's something that people don't know what to do people don't know what to say they don't know how to address it they don't even know how it is they don't know why is she in the hospital why is why does she have to deliver you know the miscarriages are something that is more talked about but no one knew what was happening and I was there and I don't even remember everyone that came but people did I was just not fully there and I can remember on day two the uh, sleeping and it was like early in the morning and me having the urge to push, not knowing what that urge was because I never delivered. And you and my mom were sleeping. And I just said, husband, husband, like he's coming. And I remember pushing and no nurses or doctors were around. And that was just, it was, it was so crazy to be in this feeling of, complete ripped apart loss without even understanding what's fully happening and I think after that it was another blur it wasn't slow motion anymore for me it was a blur I pushed him out with like two pushes I remember you had to leave to come get go get the nurse and by then his head was in my hands I was holding him and another push and then he was gone And then after that, I couldn't even 
take in what was happening because you have to keep going, right? You have to get the placenta out. So you have to keep pushing. And then that was another struggle because I didn't know any, they didn't really coach or say anything because they were just like, let's go. And I couldn't get it. So they said, well, we have to have surgery. We have to go in and get it. We need you to sign these forms rush and I remember them presenting it to you because I wasn't fully aware of what was happening but it was like okay well we're gonna go and get it and if we have to get all of your uterus we're gonna take all of that as well is that you have to sign and make sure everything that's okay with you and I was like what what is happening right now but you know I just looked at you and we signed it and I was wheeled away and I was under, before I knew it, I was under the anesthesia. And I don't remember everything that fully happened after that because I woke up in a room full of women, this holding area, full of women that probably had C-sections because I could hear babies. So it was so confusing to me because I was like, what am I doing here? What is happening? They put you in the same room that it, it's the same room where uh, mothers meet their babies for the first time. Mm. So that's I didn't, I that's that. one part of the story that I that I was almost going to get arrested because I'm fighting with nurses and doctors to try to get you out of that room. Yeah. I was like, this is torture now. Now now you're torturing somebody who just lost their son to have them in the same room as people who are meeting their babies for the first time. I didn't know that. And yeah, and so we fought and that's how we end up going to uh another level. Right. We end up going to because Oncology. I was about it was I was almost going to get arrested the way I was like livid. Yeah. So so that's what happened when when you were in your the it was like the OR it was like the recovery room. Yeah. And I think it's you know it's something that anesthesia is so strong you don't know how much they take how much I could take they didn't know when I would come to because yours wasn't the first face that I came to and you said that you came first. And I came to, I think it was my, my friend Jamal or someone. I, just, I, I didn't know where I was. And that was another startling factor. I knew I, can re, I could remember the two days prior and, and that labor, but I didn't know what was happening. And so I think that after that, after we you were sorting through things that I didn't even know that you were doing, we finally got to a room, not a shared room, but a, a, a separate room for us. Finally, I don't know, and again, I don't know what time of day any of this is. It's kind of bizarre. It's like, what was I connected to? What kind of drugs was I connected to? But they say, you, do you want to meet your baby? And this lovely nurse, you know, she comes in and she wheels in our firstborn and he's there he's wrapped up and they have this forget-me-not box for him and 
that was our first time meeting him, even though, you know, I, I said this then, I said, I, I know him, I know him. I talk to him every day and to experience that, and to try to keep going because you have this time with your son and then you have to say goodbye. And from there, we they took care of me because I was in this dire state of health issues and they released me finally, even though I, I said, I will never heal if I'm in this hospital. I remember saying yeah. like, I have to go home. And whatever I was, I was doing everything I could to make this, whatever it was, the blood pressure. Blood, your blood pressure was still dangerously high. And they kept saying, they, they kept saying they're trying to get the blood pressure down because they were like, oh, at any time you can have a stroke, at any time right. you can have a heart attack right. because you were in like the 200, 100 range. When I guess a normal, what is a normal blood pressure? For me, it was like a hundred over like one ten over sixty. Yeah, one ten over sixty. So, so, but you were never concerned about that. You were like, I don't care about. I need to get out of here. I and knew. So we were it, there for the last. I think it was two or three more days after delivery. Yeah, I I, I said I, I don't never go down while I'm here. It's I I I didn't. I was in bed. For all that time, I wasn't. I didn't move, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm always like, I'm going to move. I'm going to walk. But I was finally released. We came home, and I remember at the time not knowing that my dad was sick, but my mom had to leave right away. So she she was there through it, you know. But she had to go, and she had to take care of him, and I didn't know it. And I really didn't care uh, because I wanted to be alone. I wanted to be just sitting in, 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 in my own darkness. And so for about a month while we were home, I think you went back to work. That was the hard part. And then coming back to the real world is the even harder part. Yeah. Acclimating. Go, go, even going home when we have... Uh, all these baby gifts and all these baby stuff at home yeah. and dealing with that that was also another just layer on on your mental that that really affected me and I couldn't I couldn't stay at the job I was at so yeah. I had to I had to move on you 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 went from one job cuz you were a bartender uh-huh. to another job, another location, and then a restaurant manager, and then to another job. And while you were doing all of that, I was at home on maternity leave because while this is happening, you know, when I left Lion King, you sign a contract and you say your leave date and your return date, and that's it. Once you sign that contract, the other person filling in for you signs their contract, And so my return date wasn't until July. So from January to July, I was on maternity leave with no baby and nothing to do. And so I remember being home. And so for about a month, I had people to come visit. Uh, My family, my sister, my friends, 
they would come and stay for literally a month because March hit and I was alone. No one was scheduled to come to me. Nobody reached out anymore necessarily. My coworkers had already collected and wrote cards and did all that they could. And that was it. And I remember a day of complete and utter darkness and loneliness. And you were at work at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling you and saying, I'm not gonna make it because my heart was ripped out and I was not going to make it. There was nothing to keep me going on. And I knew I needed help. And I knew that I needed something. And, you know, I, at the time I wasn't praying anymore. I was so angry with God. So at the time I wasn't talking to him. I wasn't reaching out to anybody. And it was only God who really reminded me, okay, you know what? You have to keep going. You have to go on. And I said, I need I need a dog. <laughs> I need a puppy. I need something. I need something to be accountable to or for. Otherwise, if it's just me, it's it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so I talked to you about it. And I remember you saying, let's do it. You came home that day and we found a dog. I called my dad. He sent me money to help. We went that weekend to pick up our hero dog Christmas. And He's been with me ever since. He carried me through that entire maternity leave. And right when I was going back to work, we found out we were pregnant again. I think that weekend or the weekend, like right when I went back to work. And that was another hurdle to overcome, just being back at work and pregnant and everything that was going on in my mind, I, I, I knew that was another instance in which I knew I need to get out. I need to protect my mind and, and do something about what's happening to me. Because, you know, I didn't know. From the, from, from the time that we were told there was no heartbeat, I'm in this place of uncertainty, this extreme level of not knowing and I think that that's the worst place to be is uncertainty and it's a test of faith and it's like how do you overcome that how do you trust again when you did trust when you did pray and your prayers were not answered in the fashion that you thought they would be because if you trusted that everything was okay and it was not okay what now do you do and I can just remember leaning on you and that had to be hard because it was that you were the only confidant for me mm -hmm. I did not want to talk to anybody else and to this day you know I am mending relationships that I lost and it will never be the same it's you know it's a traumatic event you're, you're never the same but I can remember just leaning on you and talking to you and crying on you and Sometimes, I mean, not even, but that, that was it. It was just you and me and that, and our marriage. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that's it. I think that's all I wanted to say. So being a parent to an angel baby and then going through seasons without the baby, our baby, was, it was, you know, layers on layers of overcoming. I remember my first Mother's Day because it was my first Mother's Day, that Mother's Day. And I remember your first Father's Day and I remember trying to make that special and I remember you trying to make my Mother's Day special and I I wrote you a card yeah. on that first Mother's Day. We also saw the Broadway play uh, Once, on, Once, this Once on This Island Oof. that actually had to do with loss. Yes. And that was a really good... I've, I felt like that Mother's Day, it was rare to see you smile. And you yeah. smiled on, and you had a good time. You kind of forgot about like you were... Uh, you were always in reality, and sometimes that's why like people go to the movies, or sometimes people listen to podcasts because they want to get out of the reality of their own life for a while. And I felt like for that brief moment, you were out of the reality of your own life, and that was a I I felt like those were that was a nice evening. It was, and it's kind of like this layer of living in multiple emotions that makes people uncomfortable because I can laugh and cry at the same time and I can do so joyfully. I can now talk about Jack and cry and be happy at the memory. These are all treasured memories for me. And so I think that sharing this multidimensional, emotional, treasured moments is... It can be hard to hear, but it's so needed. It's so needed for me because it's a part of the healing. I remember praying, you know, and it was winter at the time. It was January. Like, let it be winter forever because it was so heavy for me. But I eventually, I don't even know what happened. It might have been Christmas. It might have been because you kept moving. But I took part in my own healing. I took part in my own understanding that I love Jack. I am grieving. This is a process. It will take time. And you stood by me the whole time. So let's talk about your experience with the pregnancy and Jack and 2018, kind of that loss, that year for us. I'm going to start back when you, we were getting pregnant, right? And that was, that was a big deal. And it's so interesting because it was a big deal when we were doing it, but slash... It wasn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things. It's almost like when you have these arguments and you think it's going to be forever and it's only a week, right? Mm -hmm. And 
the argument was you didn't really communicate that you wanted to have children yet and I wasn't fully on board I was like oh well I just quit my job I'm a bartender now I was making money as a manager and stuff like that and then we got on the same page because uh, I had to I had to look inside myself and be like I was scared to be a father I was scared to be uh, I didn't think I was ready for all these the, the responsibilities that clearly you had faith and believed that I was ready for and I have all the naming rights for the children so Lindsay gave me naming rights even before Jack was born and his name was originally going to be Jackson Jackson but you didn't like Jackson Jackson so I shortened it to Jack and Major came from just I think we were just walking and talking yeah around our neighborhood and I was like Major that's gonna be his middle name so one of the things about 2017 and going into 2018 was the expectation of everything's going to be all right everything is going to be perfectly fine and hindsight i guess everything is all right like we're still alive we have we have christmas we have action and stuff like that but it's not the same your life my life dramatically changed right and so everything is going to be all right may be true but everything is not going to be the same all right and that's something that i had to learn and relate my relationships with people have changed because of things that i deemed not really unforgivable but it's just when i think about the hardest times in my life what were you doing were you making my life easier were you making my life harder and one of the one of the things that makes my life harder is if it upsets you in any way, right? So like your older sister, she did not want to do the baby shower. And I, I will always remember that. Originally. For, originally she was like, Oh, I don't want to do it. And the expectation was, you know, you don't have a lot of really close friends. You have your sisters mm-hmm. and you ride or die with your sisters. And we were going to come to L.A. and have a baby shower. And she didn't want to throw it. Also, she she was an event planner. So it was almost like... uh, Her wheelhouse. Yeah. It was almost expected. And I guess you... And so I will always remember stuff like that. Because it's like, oh, you slighted us. But let's move on to January 26th. I don't know what I was doing in the morning. I just remember we had the appointment. The 24th. January 24th. Oh, yes. It was the 24th. It was Wednesday the 24th. And so we meet up at the appointment. We go to all the appointments. Everything is normal. Everything is normal. And that's the scariest thing is that on your worst day, it could be like any other day, right? And I remember I remember the walk across the street to the ER and how instantly terrified I got. Mm -hmm. Like, what is happening? I felt a shift, Mm -hmm. right? It was all rainbows. We had a a gender reveal, happiness. And that walk across the street to this place was so quiet, but it seems like we were almost talking in telepathy and we were praying together and it 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 was very scary. And so we go up, we don't know what's going on, and then they tell you that we 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 can't we can't hear the heartbeat and they keep searching 
they keep searching for the heartbeat. And that was another thing that was just, uh, just really moving in slow motion. And, and, you know, in the movies, slow motion is a real thing and art imitates life, but stuff like that really moves in slow motion and I could, I could replay it. And so I had to be the one to call our parents and we're in New York and our, both of our parents live out in Los Angeles. And so I have to call your mom. I call your mom and I'm crying and they don't know what's going on. And my mom answers the phone. I remember my mom answered the phone. She always answers the phone the same way. It's like, hey, babe. And she answered it like it was a normal, you know, her son is calling. And I had to say, we lost the baby. We lost Jack. And that's all I could really say. I don't even remember that. And then after I made that call, I had to call your mom. I had to call both parents. Yeah, because I was on the gurney. Yeah, you were you were up. lapped up, and so they were putting doses. <laughs> I told I told your mom. I told, and the next question was, "Do you want us to come out here?" And I was like, "No, we're we're fine," because I didn't know the gravity of what just happened. Yeah. Uh, the fact that uh, we have to deliver, you have to deliver, you have to go through this process. And and Jack is is so real to me because, like I said, he, he did, I did talk to him, right? We listened to music. I did, like, feel him kick and all these things that, uh, you know, I did with action when he was in the womb, but like speaking life into somebody and having that relationship before they even take their first breath. And, you know, me giving him a name. These are things that um, that really were, were important to me in my life, but also heartbreaking because I didn't get to meet my son, or he didn't get to meet me in life. And one of the things I remember about that horrible hospital is that None of the nurses knew what the other nurses did, right? So they will always ask the same questions to Lindsay and she has to keep reliving this thing and I'm and I'm sitting there helpless because for some reason they don't they don't communicate with the spouse. Uh like I'm not of an authority there. Mm-hmm. It's all the decisions are hers, what she wants to do. It's almost like I'm taking out the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard thing. But there was one nurse who was Caitlin. And she, Caitlin was compassionate. And she was attentive. And she was sensitive. She was sent by God for mm-hmm. us. Um, yeah, and she ended up being with us and traveled to the following hospital and being with us through the delivery of, of action. action. So mm-hmm. she, yeah, she left that hospital and actually went to the hospital that we went and delivered action. But you, you woke us up. I'm with your mom. You woke us up and I haven't, I haven't cried in front of you this whole time. I'm trying to be strong. Mm-hmm. I'm trying yeah. to be, you know, there for you, attentive, trying to learn everything I know what is preeclampsia? You had a very rare case of preeclampsia. And so and so I'm trying to learn. I'm just trying to be there for you. And I go to sleep. I nod off. You wake up. You go, husband. And I remember the voice is like, it's like sharp, husband. It was like, 
Jack is coming. And so then there's no nurses to be found because it's either, either late or really early. And I literally am running up and down the halls of a maternity ward trying to find somebody. And I'm like, where's our doctor? The doctor who who sent us to the hospital in the first place was delivering babies that day and she was supposed to come deliver the baby. Well, so she's terrible. <laughs> and so we're they're looking for her. I'm like and I'm telling them, I don't it's almost like do something, John. John Q, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care who you because they're up there waiting for the doctor. I don't care who you bring, somebody needs to come right away. And that somebody end up being Caitlin who stopped what she was doing, whatever she was doing. And she came in and had to call like code red on the phone, right? She was like, oh, oh, this is serious. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've always had a problem with now is the, the distrust I have for medical facilities because of that experience Mm -hmm. and the fact that nobody wanted to listen to you and no one wanted to listen to me either in my helplessness. And so we move forward and I am... I'm working as a restaurant manager. I get a job because I was a bartender. I wasn't making that much money. I didn't want to go back to the place where everybody was expecting this baby, right? They were there the whole pregnancy. So I wanted a a new set of people that didn't know me where I could hide that I just lost my first son. And so I was working there for maybe three or four weeks. I'm doing training and... I cannot function as a good manager because I I didn't want to talk to pregnant people. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see babies. I was just in distraught. I didn't want to communicate with people. And so I had to end up leaving that job. I, I wrote them a letter and I was like, thank you for the opportunity. But right now, mentally, I am not able to do it. And then that's when I got presented another opportunity where I didn't have to work with people for a while and that was uh at howard hughes with some ex-employees who actually uh ex-co-workers who became our friends and from then it was just trying to take care of you but also dealing with my own stuff because i really felt like one of us has to survive right uh uh and I could see how people could get divorced and I could see how people could separate during tragedy like this because I was like, as long as Lindsay's taken care of, I don't really need to take care of myself. And also, then it got to the point where I Christmas was helping you and I was like, okay, if I'm going to take care of myself, I really have to reduce my, I guess, feelings for you. Um, not like fall out of love, but focus on me. Take and I'm care all, of yourself. Yeah, take care of myself. And I'm always trying to take care of you. I'm always trying to take care of you mm-hmm. first. It, you know, me, when I say joy is Jesus, others, yourself. And I'm at a point in my life where me and Jesus are, I'm beefing with him. He's not really beefing with me, right? right. He, he's not beefing. Mm-hmm. Others, I can't take care of others because I don't really care about anybody else. Yeah. And so I'm just focusing on myself. And I was in a dark place where everything is a slight, right? And I have to put on this face. So if somebody if somebody didn't give me a, a Father's Day card or something, it's like, oh, so you don't recognize my son. Or if... 
I don't know, just anything. If somebody disagrees with me or someone doesn't let me speak, I feel like, oh, you think I'm weak. Mm -hmm. It was very, it was very like uh, insecure. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a tight, close relationship with God and Jesus. And my faith was very strong. And it was literally shaking down to the core. I didn't want to speak to people eyes I deem as mentors like my father my my father is a man of God and I reach out to people who have relationships with God that I that I admire and I try to get their perspective it's like Davin he's one of my mentors my dad people I, I see as father figures and I didn't want to talk to them I thought they were useless I thought God was useless I I thought everything was a sham, right? I thought I was lied to. Mm -hmm. And it was, truthfully, it was tough just being a husband and and going through grief when, when it's not really... The thing that hurt the most is that life goes on whether you're happy, you're sad, you're depressed, and eventually people forget our they have to care less, right? Mm -hmm. Life, like the show must go on, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want everybody to pause and wait till I recover. And it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And it, and that's what every loss, you want to freeze time and be in that place. And I didn't, and I didn't feel like anybody else met after like what a month, I felt like nobody else cared. Yeah. And I started I started doing these posts on Instagram. No, I started doing posts on Facebook. Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I, I did go to school for film and television. So I, I do know how to write and I'm a creative writer. And and I feel like that was one of my outlets to communicate what was going on in my life. Because it like you said, you retracted. I wanted people. I wanted that connection again. But it seemed like people drew away from me. Mm -hmm. So with you withdrawing from people, people withdrew from me because they didn't know what to say, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to act. And I'm like, I want to talk to you about Jack. I want to, I want to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. But the people, I want to talk to somebody who can just listen, right? right? And that's one of the things that we try to do for each other is sometimes I just need you to vent. I, I just want to vent. And I thank God every day for action and for Christmas. Those are my boys and for Jack. And I, I don't know, coincidentally, ironically, when you have a baby after, after a, a loss, it's called a rainbow baby. And the national day for rainbow babies is our wedding anniversary yeah we and we that. didn't know at <laughs> all until you know until after action was born and i just i just i don't know what to say it's it's really since we're talking about since we're talking about loss and i know how hard it can be when you lose hope right it's not just a loss of a person it was a loss of hope it was a loss of faith, faith. it was a, a loss of personality uh, our positivity outlook right these are things that i've lost that year in 2018 
that I'm slowly regaining, uh, getting rebuilding relationship and trust with God and uh, rebuilding relationships with friends that I felt didn't do enough or, or didn't say the right things because they didn't know how. And me also having to articulate who I am now. Rebuilding your identity. Yeah, yeah, rebuilding my identity. To the people who've known you prior to. Mm-hmm. And Be- I think that's so important to realize because people want you to be the same, right? Because people like consistency. People like what they know. And after a loss, after something traumatic, you are not the same. And you could tell people that. You could say, I'm not going to be this, but you have to, you know, we're showing them that. We're showing them that with our own consistency, like, hey, you know, this is who we are now. Like, this is who I am now. And so as much as you say you were a different person before, this is who you are now. And your friends, you know, or your family members, they see that. Yeah. Or if they refuse to see that, then that's where the the tension comes. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to change back to the person that I was. We can't right? go back. I have to grow. There's no And way. all the cliches in the world and... Probably my grandmother who lost her husband a long time ago, like in 1997, she she gave us a poem about all the cliches that people say to you and it and none of that matters. There's nothing that you want to hear. And coming from a Christian background, people say like, oh, God doesn't uh, put more than you can bear. And this is a test and all this stuff. But you don't want to hear that. You just want to you just want to grieve right yeah and and what i learned from that year and and just you know this is what happens when we have conversation we learn more and more is that grief is love and we should be allowed to like you say talk about it to share it to experience it and recognize that we love Jack. We love him so much that we will always remember him. We will remember him in the recanting of our experiences, in our conversations, in saying his name, and in who we are now. And so whereas, you know, some sometimes there are things you want to change, you want to develop, and you want to grow from, and then some things are like, this is who I am now. So the person and the personality that I am now, it is because of the love and the loss that we had with Jack. So in looking back over 2018 and realizing that we had to think about ourselves and come to the other side of that and still be together and still be like how we are today, strong, I just want everybody else to look back at last year and and see what you need to do to get through that year since we already got through it and come out stronger into this new year. And just because something happened to you that was not going to plan and, and it hurts or, or you missed out or you lost something take that with you. You don't have to drop every it doesn't you don't have to drop everything the last year, right? right. You could carry that and 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 make it purposeful. 
And I just feel like that, that people, you know, they're quick to be like, oh, I'm leaving this behind. I'm leaving this behind. But you could carry, you could carry some stuff over. Not a loss. You don't have to drop that. We just wanted to thank everybody for coming with us on our journey, uh, listening to this episode. I know it's not the same, like, fun-loving episode, but we really want to get to know everybody and want everybody to get to know us as, as much as they could. And we're treating this podcast like family, right? And we are... We are sharing and we would like you to share and we want everybody to have a great year and and we love you. Yes. And we're reading, well, I'm reading, you know, Michelle Obama right now and she says, you know, you own your story and this is our story and we could not let this season end without sharing this huge part about us, how we survived and how we are forever changed by our angel baby, by our miracle baby, by our rainbow baby, by, you know, it's just, it's a part of us. And so January 26th, January 26th, Jack Major Jackson. Thank you for joining us on our 21st episode, talking about grief and loss. It is something that we will all experience and the best way that I know is to talk about it. So if you need to talk to anybody, please reach out. You can always DM us, First Comes Love, TCM. You could call the voicemail at 347-TRUE-LOVE. That's T-R-U-LOVE, 347-878-5683. Or you can email us, Let's Talk, at first comes love, then comes marriage.com. See, See you, you next, next Friday. Friday.